1: welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the latest edition of cultural calculus of course i'm big waz aka Land lambray joined as always by my lovely and talented co-host kavitha davidson kavitha what's up hello how are you i'm excited because we have a very special show today um not only is this woman one of the most Prominent voices in all of—I would say NBA media, but it's all of media, okay. And also, she interviewed she is, the president. All right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> also, you know, important to me, she's Gwinnett County's whoop, finest. Whoop, whoop, <laughs> whoop. Shout out Gwinnett. <laughs> and 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 an, and an outcast van. She got mad at me one day for some Andre Three Thousand. Words, Which but... we'll have to get
2: into because I hope Twitter kills you for but go ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to the show, Taylor Rooks. What's happening with
2: you? Oh my gosh, nothing too much. Just happy to be here with both of you. So I'm uh, looking forward to it.
1: You know, we're launching the show and we wanted to get as many big dogs as we could. And so I was like, you know what? I have a decent enough relationship with Taylor Brooks. Let me reach out to her and see if she would lend us some of her status and gravitas and just stature. Cause we're trying to get this show running straight off the blocks, Taylor. So thank you for being here. Of course. We're extremely honored to have you, Taylor.
2: Anything for you to do.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I became familiar with what you were doing back when you doing the big 10 network stuff. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you popped up on SNY while I was still living in New York. And I was like, man, this girl is fastly, like quickly rising and just killing it. And now yeah. you at the big dogs over at Turner Sports, man. like. What has this been like? Because it feels like it's happened fairly quickly for you. And I think yeah. that's a testament to your talent. I feel
3: like we also have to emphasize that, Taylor, you are so young. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> for how successful you are. You are extremely young. It's, it's really been impressive to see. Oh,
2: well, thank you. I mean, hey, I have a birthday. Coming up next month, I'll be 29, so I'm getting up there. No, I, I actually enjoy birthdays. I enjoy growing older, having you still a
3: 30 year. under 30, so listen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, maybe one more year to maybe get that. I hadn't thought about that, and then I was like, like, you know what it'd be really cool to do that so I might like Uh nominate myself next year but um but no I mean it's been really fun you know I do always tell people I feel like my life had to be like really quickly and I had to learn so many things on the fly because I was just kind of thrown into the fire with a you know, myriad of different things as far as career goes and your know, attention goes and all that stuff. So it's definitely been a ride bumpy at times, but a really fun ride. And I'm happy that I've been given so many different just opportunities um, and experiences along the way.
3: Yeah, what is that like from local uh, on SNY to national just kind of overnight? What was that transition like for you? Yeah, so...
2: It's interesting because I really had to take a step back and think, okay, what is it about this business that means the most to me? Like what type of journalist do I want to be? And I say that because my first job out of school was at the Big Ten Network. So I graduate and I'm on this like national show five days a week, this live show. I'm like 21 years old Insane that they let me do that for five days a week at 21. But so I was doing that. But I started to feel like, okay, I want something a little different. I want to have more of a voice. I want to have more of a leading role on a show. So, when this SNY opportunity had, you know, come in front of me, I'm like, well, is that technically a downgrade? Because I'm going from the big to network to, you know, more of a regional sports network. Mm-hmm. But I was like, what's important to me is really like honing my voice and finding my voice. So you decide, okay. I'm going to let go of what I feel like is this really cool job to go to a place that I think will make me a better journalist, you know, and a better on air person. So I did that. And so when, then when I was there, I wanted to make it feel as national as possible. And I still wanted to feel like I was talking about things that everybody cared about. So I started the podcast there and I just tried to get like, all my friends to be a guest. So I would have like I had KD come to the studio and do a podcast. I had Dwayne Wade, I had Dion Waiters, I had a bunch of people do this podcast for me when I was at S&Y. we Y. We're and gonna
3: then, pause for a second and just say that Taylor just <laughs> dropped all of those names in the context of I had all of my friends come no, on. No, <laughs> just meaning, just so like, on. <laughs> meaning like meaning, <laughs>
2: like I am just gonna like call in all these Taylors, my friends, and be like, hey, do this podcast, you know? So it was really, it was really, really cool that I was able to do that. And I'm so thankful to them that they did that. For me, uh, so I did the podcast, and doing that at SNY is what really led to you know the opportunity with Bleacher Report and Turner Sports. So everything you know worked out, and I feel like whatever the job is, whatever it is, you make it what it mm-hmm. is. So I just tried to keep that in mind.
1: You know what's funny is that obviously, like I said, um, because we have so many mutual acquaintances, you and I have become friendly over the years. I pay attention to what you're doing in the game. And I feel like when it really, when it really got to the point where I was like, listen, cause let's face it, Taylor Rooks is a beautiful person. Right. And with that comes certain people are going to make up their own conclusions about. What this it is, is you do for your job, how well, just, you do your just, job. Say it,
3: just say it outright. When you are beautiful and a woman in sports, people are assuming that you don't have anything to actually say about exactly. sports and you're just a sideline reporter. And you're oh, yeah. very exactly. much not that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it, absolutely but but, right. <laughs> but you know when you know when I knew Taylor had put her foot in everybody's ass and showed that she was serious, was the bubble. Where mm-hmm. Taylor got up there and just took over. I'm sorry, <laughs> you took over. You were breaking stuff left and right and real stuff that were like going super mega viral. And I was like, yo, she is down there getting it done, right? Oh, like anybody you. who who does the, you know, I always hesitate to call myself a journalist, even though I guess I am with the capital J and the fedora <laughs> and the feather in the cap. Anybody who <laughs> takes that stuff seriously enough um, if they were paying attention to what you were doing down there, they would know like, wow, she is killing it amongst a bunch of killers, by the way. And so that's when I was like, you know what, man, this is, we're talking about a Michael Jordan, LeBron James level talent in this game. Like you don't <laughs> play do. around. What was your approach when you got down there?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, my approach, honestly, was to not change the way that. interview. You know, I think one of the reasons some of the things popped was that, you know, sometimes you get into this scrum, like post game or after practice or whatever, and you ask scrum questions, you know, you ask like, what was this moment like, or how did it feel? What were you thinking? But I have never, ever asked that question when I'm sitting down with somebody interviewing. So I asked type of questions that I would have asked in a one-on-one environment. I think honestly, a lot of the guys there weren't used to answering questions like that in that scrum. So they gave me such good and like detailed specific answers that I just think really, really helped. So I didn't, you know, shy away from the things I wanted to ask. I didn't just ask about the game, especially in a place like the bubble where there was just so many other things that were going on. Um, but I mainly wanted every single, you know, NBA fan or, you know, follower of mine to feel like they were there. Because there's already this like super exclusive like Illuminati group of people that were in this bubble, and you just felt like it was this like untapped place. So I was like, I want to show everything. You know, that's why we did a vlog. That's why it wasn't always just about like serious basketball things. I wanted to go to practice and play heads up with the guys. You know, I wanted it to really. I wanted everyone to feel the summer camp feeling that we all felt when we were there. So I just, I didn't want to adapt to the bubble as much as I wanted the the bubble to adapt to me and the work that, that I like to do. And um, it was a really fun experience. I always tell people that's my favorite thing I have ever done. I'm glad it afforded me the opportunity to write that article for GQ because I was able to write again and I don't think... You know, most people knew that I even did that. So it just was really nice and opened up, you know, a bunch of things for me. And it was just a cool experience in general to so intimately cover these people every single day um, was just something I won't forget.
3: Yeah, this isn't like so much of our job is preparation. And there's so much about what you encountered at The Bubble and just what all of us encountered in 2020, frankly, yeah. that you couldn't possibly prep for, right? Totally. So how did you approach just like entering that kind of an environment, not really knowing what to expect?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess kind of what you said, like knowing that this has never happened. You know, we were all a part of a first and an only, and it's very rare that that literally ever happens you know so there was no playbook of like what do you do in the bubble <laughs> you know you, don't, you never knew what was going to happen and so much of it was adapting on the fly you know when we're all sitting there and the clock at zero zero and the Bucks nor the magic are out on the court and we're like something's going on and we're rushing back to the locker room you're just constantly trying to figure out the best way to tell the story and you know the most accurate way to tell these stories but it was it was something like there's really no way to describe what the bubble was like. Um, The only things that you really could prepare for were like, okay, you knew you were going to go to practice. You knew you were going to go to a game, but things were moving so quickly. There were days you were like at five games in a row, you know, and you were just kind of going with it.
1: And you know what I love the most about what you said in all of this, Taylor, is that it certainly feels like the subjects like talking to you you know um i've been <laughs> I've been in locker rooms, I've been in scrums you know let's not let's not kid ourselves here this this current iteration of the Clippers group is a bit ornery <laughs> <right>? like <laughs> they're a bit like you know chip on the shoulder. You know, because it's a, it's a bunch of guys like Pat Bev and, and Lou Will and, you know, got, well, Lou Will's not there anymore, but you know what I mean? Like Montrez Harrow last year, like guys who had to sort of pay dues and, yeah. you know, scratch and claw to earn their rights. And, you know, it feels like they don't always want to deal with this part of the job. But when I'm watching people, when I'm watching the subjects talk to you, it seems like, they're cool with it. I, you know, I'm very curious as to why you think that is, you know? Yeah.
2: Well, thank you. I I think it's a bunch of different things. You know, I think f- number one, the most important thing in this business is your reputation. And I mean, amongst your colleagues, amongst the mm-hmm. players. And I think they, we know Enough of the same people, or they have seen enough of the work to know I'm not a person who is, you know, trying to get a headline, trying to make you look bad. I genuinely just want to talk to you, right? And I want to give you this platform or the stage to talk about whatever you want. And I would never want to mess up that trust that I have built. With people, and I hope that that is kind of what shines through for the guys. So they're fine, you know, doing this interview or stopping for a minute and answering this question and being open about it because they know it won't be, you know, misconstrued or they won't look bad or in a light that they weren't intending. So I think that that is, you know, some of it. I also think, like you mentioned Lou Will, it's like, we're both from Gwinnett. I have known Mm -hmm. Lou for quite some time. You know, he'll talk, you know, he'll put on for anybody that is from the Metro Atlanta area. And I just have so many guys that we have some type of connection. We have known each other, like Jason Tatum is someone I've known since he was 15. You know, I was covering Victor Oladipo when he was in college. Like, I think I have been really blessed and lucky that for so many of these guys, we're about the same age. We came up doing this really at the same time. Um, So they're okay talking to me. And I tell people this all the time. I also think it helps that I'm black. I think you really innately trust people who look like you. You just kind of understand that you have some of the same experiences. You feel a bit more comfortable. You can talk about things and you think that they'll understand that really does help. I also think this is one of the reasons why being a woman has an advantage. I think people trust women more. I think they kind of just want to talk to women more. So I think it's- I a, certainly yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a couple of things that you know pile on top of one another that um, has kind of made the perfect storm as to why they feel you know, a bit more inclined to answer some questions.
3: Well, so that's super interesting because, you know, we don't I feel like among ourselves as women of color in the industry, we have these conversations among ourselves. I think we were sometimes afraid to say it out loud, though, that being black, in my case, being brown and being a woman, some like with all of the structural inequity that's built in and all of the barriers that we face given Mm -hmm. that. And this doesn't erase any of that, obviously. But there there is a slight advantage. I do find that especially male athletes are a little bit more disarmed talking totally. to women than yeah. they would be. You know, there's not the same camaraderie necessarily. You're not going to go hang out with them at a bar in the, in the way that some of our male colleagues would. Mm-hmm. But but there is definitely a disarming quality of being a woman in in this space.
2: Yeah. And I have no issue saying it out loud because I'm like, listen, if I'm going to get one advantage, i all going hear about it because <laughs> everybody else yep. has this plethora of advantages <laughs> that, <laughs> they, they they don't say it out, out loud, not because they don't want to, but because they would have to, you know, kind of resolve with the fact that that is what society has built for them. So if this thing is going to happen where someone's going to want to talk to me more because I'm black or because I'm a woman and I mean, that's a part of it. Right. Like there are there are some things that just are what they are. And even when you were just, you know, talking about, you know, there's different things. I am no longer even of that school of thought of like, well, I got to think about, you know, networking or having different relationships and somebody like Shams or Chris mm-hmm. Haynes, right? Chris Haynes is such a good friend of mine. I love Chris. If Chris can go to dinner with Dame and build that relationship, I should also be able to do 100%. that exact same thing. Right. So, but there was a time I was like, mm, I don't know like if I could do that, but now I'm like, this is a part of it. Why should I be disadvantaged just because somebody who knows nothing about me or somebody who is incredibly immature and thinks you can't just be getting lunch with somebody mm-hmm. is going to think about it, right? So I, and it took me a while, but I am so over that hump of over, overthinking that because what I care about is doing good work and half of that is creating good relationships.
3: A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, you absolutely should always feel that you have the right to go to lunch with a player and to source build in that way i think that there is a there is also a fear that a player or or doesn't even have to be an athlete just any source that you're meeting with if they're of the opposite sex and they're heterosexual are going could take it the wrong way could assume different things um but that also does come with like i said this disarming quality where people are just naturally more inclined to want to talk to you
2: yeah absolutely and like that's something that i think you know the non media person doesn't fully understand mm-hmm. is that it is such a big part of it like i for the first two seasons of my show i booked 90% of the people right and it's because we knew each other, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe there was a time that a big group of us had gone to eat, right? Or because I saw them at Soho house or so whatever the case may be like, so I would not have over half of my interviews if I didn't have, you know, friendships or relations with people or at minimum have a friendship with someone that they knew who could say, Hey, she wants to know if you do this interview, would you do it? And that is how every man gets their interview,
3: mm-hmm. literally.
2: But they don't get their interview, and then somebody be like, Ooh, are they dating? It's like, yeah, no. What's going on there? Just right? doing my interview, right? So,
3: but, you know, I'm I do always, have some I, questions I, about Waz and Van Lathan, who we did interview the other yeah. day, though, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's so funny. Like, you'll hear about, you know, these male journalists. Who are with these guys all the time and literally nobody Mm -hmm. cares. Mm -hmm. But all the women who go interview anybody, they're like, hmm, what? I'm like, dang, how busy do y'all think we are? (laughs) Because at this point, (laughs) it's it's such this weird mindset. Like, I, I don't understand. Literally, a female journalist can be sitting next to a man, literally sitting. People are like, hmm, it's like, how, <laughs> how, how old are we? Like even, oh,
3: uh, yeah, literally just even, like six feet apart, social distancing, yeah, everything. If you're crazy. anywhere near a man.
2: <laughs> it's so wild. I'm like, and it's weird. Like one thing I always say, though, I'm like, listen, I am so good at this. You think I'm cheating. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, how is she doing this? Because you you it's so unfathomable to think it's just because maybe they can't wrap work. their head
3: around the fact that you've, you're doing this legitimately because yeah. you're so good at it. Yeah, so I'm
2: like, hey, listen, I am I am flattered that you are dumbfounded by this. But yeah, that is one of the the many things that, you know, all the women right in this space um, have to deal with. But I am so over even thinking about it because people are. Absurd. The things that I have gotten drawn into are insane.
1: (laughs) So, not that you would ever need any advice from me, but follow your instincts. Here it comes. Do what you do. You're (laughs) clearly killing it. I I, like the idea that you would listen to what anybody has to say about what you're doing. Like, like with the reality of what your successes have been, like, that doesn't even make any type of sense. Like, no man would ever be a successful. Um, doing what they're doing as you are and what you're doing would ever be like, yeah, I need to go listen to what some people... No, they'd be like, no, I'm I'm the shit. Uh, (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Have you seen the proof is in the pudding? But I do want to ask because, you know like you said, like the word relationships keep coming up because so much of the business, it's a people business. So therefore it's a relationship business. Have you found it, you know, within over the past year because everybody's been so isolated, have you found it harder to sort of maintain stuff, do the check-ins like, or even see people? You know what I mean? Like, Have you found that harder to do in the last year, specifically, you know, in New York?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, it's yes and no but like so right when we got the news you know that the NBA was going to be suspended I remember literally texting Danny Green like Haley you hop on a FaceTime and then I'm talking to Rudy he's like talking about going on IG live and talking about COVID and that was like the only interview he did initially about what happened with him like I almost kind of went into overdrive I, like hit Spencer we did an interview so I think that the isolation kind of forced you to connect because you still wanted to put content out. You still wanted people to to feel like sports were happening or they kind of knew what was going on. So I've actually talked to more people than I maybe would have if the world was open, because you're trying to really maintain that. Um, You know, I was kind of doing interviews every week at the beginning because you still want to be working and creating stuff. So I would say it's, it's yes and no because you do know, you do lose the check-ins of like we're both at a game, and I see you in the locker room, right? Like you lose that, right. but you also form new connections and it's changed. I think you know that those first couple months, it changed the way we did interviews. Like it was almost all about them as a person. You know what are they doing? What shows are they watching yeah. in quarantine? Mm-hmm. Are they annoyed with their family yet? Like we were we mm-hmm. were really talking about just them, and I thought that was a really nice time because we saw so many creators wanting to do stuff that felt intimate like even if it's something like d nice going on ig live like the reason people were drawn to that is because we were all doing the exact same thing at the exact same time in a moment where you feel so far away from others so when we're commenting we're all listening to the same music it just it was this sense of community. And I felt like a lot of that happening with journalism too, wanting the the content to be about connection, you know, less about a headline or asking questions.
3: Going into the bubble, you know, there was this kind of divide between players about all of the progress that they had made about using their platform to talk about racial and social justice and whether, you know, returning to play would distract from that or take away from that message or or what have you. Did you feel a similar kind of tension in yourself as as a Black woman, as a journalist. Obviously, you have Mm -hmm. a job to do. These are things that need to be covered. But there was also so much going on outside this literal bubble that that you were in.
2: For sure. I mean, there's one thing about me. I am super about the cause. So when I saw a bunch of dudes, you know, wondering whether they would go to the bubble or not, I'm like, yeah, like, should we have this bubble? You know, I was so on that. And then When it was announced that they were going to do the bubble and I was potentially going to go, I really sat and I was like, okay, so they're going to do this bubble. If I go, does this mean that I am kind of like turning my back on everything that's going on outside of the bubble? But the thing that really made me be like, it's important to go is there has to be somebody there that asks questions and there has to be someone there who feels like they have a responsibility to people, to black people, to continue to like, Put these things in the forefront and i mean you know you don't know initially how many black people are going to be there in terms of media you know how many women are going to be there you know in terms of media and so i was like i want to be a part of this because it's historic and i know that this stuff is still going to be a focal point and i wanted to be a part of that and you know there are so many ways to employ, you know, acts of resistance, right? Or, you know, acts, you know, for the movement or for the people, it isn't just about sitting out. Sometimes it is about like standing up and being present and, you know, being a vehicle and a voice and an advocate for so many others. And I think that a lot of the black reporters in the bubble felt like that was our role there for, you know, the bigger picture.
1: I'm very interested that you said that because even me, myself as a black person, part of it is like, man, is it on <laughs> is it on Dame Lillard to fix police violence? Right. <laughs> like, it seems like a weird job to give NBA players, right? But at the same time, like these guys are some of the most prominent black people in our country, right? Their their voices have such huge reach. Yeah, they there's there's so much that they can do. But I, you know, I wonder about how much are we putting on these guys, right? Rather than the people whose actual jobs it is to fix these kinds of things. And, you know, (laughs) their freaking employers are a big part of the problem. So I'm always just like, how are we going to do like LeBron James, et cetera, et cetera, pulling for one thing on one side and then we got owners donating to certain causes directly opposed to it on the other side. I I wonder how we, you know, sort of toe that line and that balance.
2: Yeah. And I think it is a lot to put on these guys. Cause yeah, I mean, when, when did it become, you know, their job, right? It's like people have been trying to fix issues of racism for years, but we thought in the bubble it was going to be solved if the NBA player said (sighs) something, it was an impossible You know, task to put on them. And I think that a lot of them, you know, really, really felt that that weight. And it was it was really hard at times. But I think that's something that people kind of grapple with, because even more than that, should we expect every single NBA player to feel like they have to be vocal? I don't know. And I'm one of those people to be completely transparent that has been like, yes, y'all have to. Y'all are prominent black people. You need to, you know, support the people, blah, blah, But when you really step back and think about it, that is super unrealistic. And even more than being unrealistic, it's not really right. The pressure should be on those that are contributing to this cycle of oppression and injustice, not just like these black people that are the public faces of a, of a league. So it's definitely a a unique
3: kind of line we're towing. Well, do you think that we've crossed that line from, you know, the 90s obviously no like nobody really was very politically active in the sports space for the most part and then we got to this point um in the last I would say probably 10 years especially in the last year obviously do you think that we've crossed like has the pendulum swung completely to the opposite direction where now you know it's one thing for a group of players who are genuinely passionate and care about this work like nobody would ever accuse LeBron of 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 faking this right of, of right. paying lip service to these things that he talks about out, but there are probably players who feel the pressure who might not actually be as passionate about these things. Have, has the pendulum mm-hmm. swung too far to that other side where the mm-hmm. burden is kind of placed on, on people unfoundedly?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, it was it was a this was a conversation I was actually having with a friend. I'm like, so if a football player doesn't kneel, does that mean they don't care? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I, I don't think it does. Right. But we were kind of at that point of like, why are you not dealing,
0: You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's like,
2: I don't really know. Like, not even I don't know. Like, that's not fair. Right. There are. And so I don't know how we get back to this happy medium or just maybe it's not happy, just a medium of like just because you don't do a doesn't mean you. Believe in B, and as B you doesn't know, do B, doesn't mean believe in A. Like there has to be some nuance that happens. But if we're being completely honest, nuance does happen in every other place except for social media.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So when you're having (laughs) these conversations with people that, you know, like your colleagues, there is room for that give and take. But when you get online there, that just doesn't exist. And I think what's happening is we're viewing like the online conversation as the only conversation. And I don't even know if the people online fully believe that as much as it is, they're just engaging in this conversation that's occurring
3: well i feel like we also nuance doesn't happen particularly when we're talking about civil rights movements right like whether we're Mm -hmm. talking about racial rights movements or lgbtq movements from both sides it seems like you always get the there is only one right way to be an activist kind of thing and we just know from history that that's never been the case it's never going to be the case and also Black people just don't exist in a monolith. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. and, and we have a really hard time reconciling that.
2: Yeah. And it's funny you say that because one thing I've thought about a lot, and it's a question I asked in the level too, is just how we view history. Mm-hmm. And I think about in 20 years, 30 years, when we talk about this time, who are those figures that are put in the forefront? How do we describe it? The way that we talk about things like the civil rights movement, I'm sure this will be called a movement. Mm-hmm. What is it going to be called? And then when we think about those movements that have come before us, how are they viewed at the time versus how we view them now? And so that is a thing that I just like really have thought about because right now to us, yes, we feel like there's this shift, because just it's talked about so much, but I don't know if we really are understanding the way it's going to be perceived in the long run, because like if somebody asked you like what figures you think we put in the forefront right now, like who would you say? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't like back then, <laughs> did they know who they'd say, right. And so I just am like I think that is another reason it is important to have you know people like us journalists that really understand you know the struggles of people because that is what people will look, will look back on when they tell the story of this time. But yeah, I've just i thought a lot about people that were living in the civil rights movement. What did they think of it when it was happening?
3: Well, and I I love that you said that because you're absolutely right. As journalists, we have a role in how. This narrative is going to be told in totally. 20, 50 years. And I say this often. There's a reason we all know Rosa Parks and not everyone knows who Claudette Colvin is, right? Exactly. And those are, those are the figures that it's on us to, to remind people started things. And I think that's why I, I was so encouraging to see so many people, especially so many women and black women push back whenever someone said colin kaepernick was the first to do this or the nba was 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 so revolutionary and so many people said well hold up the wnba has been doing this work yeah, for years they've been this. right yeah. and and let's not let them get forgotten to history as well
2: yeah absolutely and i mean the wnba like shout out to them like they have literally flipped a state like they they get things done. So I think it is important to always shine a big, big light on them. Even like specifically Maya Moore. Like you have they were able to mobilize in a way that most people can't mm-hmm. mobilize. Like they were all united. They all had the message. They all stood up for one another. It was, I think the WNBA is just, I'm a New York Liberty season ticket holder. I need to become an Atlanta Dream season ticket holder. There you go. But um we yes, were waiting for that ownership change. now they're gonna have have my money exactly everyone should support wba either with money or attention or views whatever
1: you know the main reason i wanted to have you on the show today uh taylor is not because of how fantastic you've already done you've already killed it but i needed to know this did lebron james read that damn malcolm x (laughs) book or not (laughs) We did. The people need to know. We need to know, Taylor. Did he actually read that damn book?
2: I am not going to lie. I felt so I don't want to say I felt bad <laughs> when that. But I was just like, this has taken on a mind of its own. I'm like, what is going on? Because this is honestly, this is how I dissect that clip. He said in the very beginning, he was like, I just started like he says that, but you know, once Twitter gets a hold of it, it's like here he is, and they're showing all these photos of him with the book open, and I'm like, oh my god, what is going on? Like, I'm trying to get people to talk about Malcolm X, and we making jokes, like, but no, I I believe he just started reading the book, which is which it, is it, what he said. Did,
1: like like you said though, it did spark. It it did take on a life of its own, 100%. when people started. People I woke started, up the next
2: day. It was like. I feel like there was a
3: lot of projection going on too like it was a lot of people who probably remember like not reading that book in high school but having to like open it a couple of times so it looked like you had flipped through the pages right and they were like nah LeBron was totally doing that too
1: no but, but the thing is they brought the receipts with him just starting a bunch of other books. It's like, is LeBron James always just starting these books? It was, that was such All an right, amazing moment. That's actually moment. My, maybe the most relatable thing I would have ever heard about LeBron James.
3: <laughs> yeah. How many of us just have a pile of books that we've started and never finished? Let's yeah, be real. it's like, he, LeBron, just like us. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Taylor, I do also have to ask you because you, for all of the things that you've accomplished, you've accomplished one thing that will always be on my bucket list. You had a spread in Architectural Digest about your apartment.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, I loved that. I'm not going to lie. That was something I was like, wait, y'all want to come in here, please?
3: First of all, that is just, that is a dream. That is a New York specific dream. But that is, that's some, that's some hot shit right there. What was that process like? First of all. How did you like who cleaned your apartment for that shoot?
1: <laughs> oh,
2: no, yeah. I have, I had somebody come and like make sure it was sparkly. It's so funny though, because I mean, I love my apartment, I think it's great. They make your apartment look so good in the photos, like, I think it's great, but I mean, that place looked like a penthouse. This is not a penthouse,
1: but uh, um, you wait, hold on before you go on. You don't have to tell us the specific neighborhood, of course, but yeah. which borough are you in? So right
2: I'm now? in Manhattan, but I am downtown, I'm like oh. financial district.
3: Okay. So, yeah, oh, they said they in really... Architectural Digest that she lived yeah, in Friday. Yeah, I did it again, so. read it. Mm, <laughs> got you, got you. But, uh, but no, it was, it was really You're about really to have cool. 10,000 Taylor Rooks fans just descending on <laughs> Wall Street right now. <laughs> <laughs> Where is she?
2: <laughs> <laughs> like waiting for me to come out now. But it was it was really really cool. I mean, I every time I've had an apartment I have these Two women, they are amazing. Kiana and Jay, they, own, they are partners. They own Black Market Vintage and they will come to your place, tell you what you should do. They source for you. They get it. They set it all up. They paint your walls. you do all of it. They are amazing. Everyone should work with them if you are in New York. But yeah, I wanted the apartment to feel very, very feminine, whatever you define that word as. I wanted it to feel very black. I wanted it to have a mix of all the things I like. So there's like sports stuff, then you have like Pam Greer on the wall, and then you have like things from my dog everywhere. So it's very, it feels like me, which is like a jumble of many different things, but I love it. I just, I love being at home, but I'm also one of those weird people I enjoy moving mm-hmm. like I actually like going to new apartments and having a new space and a new feel and like getting used to my surroundings. So I've been here a year and I'm pretty sure I'm going to move again. I like it. I love the remodeling aspect, which is crazy, <laughs> but I love it.
3: I can't relate to this at all. Moving is the <laughs> like, it's
2: thing that I, I fear love the most. <laughs> moving. Look, I have lived in New York for I think five years. Okay. I've had four apartments.
3: Okay, wow. so I've yeah. lived in New York for all of my thirty-two years and I'm currently in my third, the first being my parents, <laughs> and then my first yeah. apartment I lived in for seven years, and now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I like no, yeah. I'm like, let's go. Like, let's and there's always like a new deal and a new place. And I just it's it's a problem. It
3: really is. But I will hey. say that like, like reading about the two, de- the designers that you worked with and seeing how beautiful your space is. I mean, I, I moved in November and my space is still fairly barren. So I might be giving them a call, but I do love, like you said multiple times in that interview that you really wanted your space to be very black. And, yeah. and what did you mean by that? And how did, like, how did, how does that translate to your living space?
2: Yeah. I mean, so I just remember, so I grew up in Gwinnett County, Georgia. And when I was growing up, and still now, I would say it's a predominantly white area, right? And I just think about different times that I was at like friends' homes, different places, and the things on the walls were always white people.
1: Mm.
2: And I'm like, I don't want my walls to be of, like just white people. I want it to be people that look like me and also things that I like. Like that, that is just like super important to me. So I wanted like Teresa Graves, who was like one of the first black women to have a primetime TV show. I wanted, like I said, I wanted Pam Greer. Like I have like Smokey and Craig up here. Like I just, I wanted it to be things that I like and things that reflect who I am. Uh, that was just really, really important to me.
1: Well, Taylor, I, we got to talk about so much amazing <laughs> stuff in here from obviously your incredible career to, you know, you stunting on people in architectural digest, which is, which I just think is incredible. And I do want to thank you for coming on today. Um, I think your talent is obvious, it's colossal. Like, they can't fuck with you, fam. Uh, they yes, cannot play with you. They I can't. I need
2: you to just like be my hype man. You move in and you'll
1: just go and <laughs> be here. <laughs> we, can, we can work on that. We can discuss, discuss terms, man. But thank you so much for coming on with us today. Yeah, no, thank absolutely. you so much, thank Taylor. thank you guys for
2: having me. This was such like a nice part of my afternoon. So I appreciate it. I will come on anytime. Congrats on the pod. I loved this.
1: Thank you. All right, so. That was Culture Calculus. Make sure you subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts—Spotify, Apple, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Please leave a review. Please give us five stars. If you're not feeling the show, just ignore it. You don't have to. You don't have to leave a review if you're not feeling us. Just, just let us be. But uh, yeah, please do that. We'll see you guys next time.
0: Peace.